You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Come on in, stay a while, spend some time with John Smoltz, Hall of Fame pitcher, working for the MLB Network. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated will stop by as well. We'll Have a poll question, play of the day, a couple of stats of the day. Your phone calls are welcome. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. Say good morning to our great radio affiliates, including the Fox Sports Radio lineup. And you can watch on youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick Show. It's been pretty good news this week for the sports leagues coming back. The NBA is coming back. NHL is back. MLS is back. NFL still on target to open his schedule. There's one exception that's becoming even more glaring every single day. Where is baseball? It's gone from, you know, maybe they're just negotiating. They'll work all of this out to players and owners really don't like each other. Maybe they salvage something here. It's hard to believe that they would forego an entire summer. But at least publicly, nothing positive is coming out. Both sides seem entrenched in their point of views. And they canceled the season back in 1994. No World Series, and the sport suffered. And if not for Cal Ripken's streak and Sammy Sosa Mark McGuire's home run record chase, I don't know where we would be right now. I'm not sure that they ever really recovered from 1994. Not coming back now would risk falling even farther down the sports food chain hopefully it's all posturing and baseball will come back soon but as of today hard to feel confident baseball knows what it's doing or where it's going there are proposals that went from the players won over 100 games the owners would like to have 50 games and then we thought well of course they'll meet in the middle now you're talking about a 48 game schedule the owners owners talking about how much they lose every single game without having fans in the stands still have revenue from local TV deals. But if you're a player, especially a pitcher, and I said, there's going to be a 48 game regular season. Are you going to risk that 25% of a season for 25% of your salary? And if I'm a pitcher, a starting pitcher, I would really have to question that. Now, you do have the safety precautions you have to factor in, but let's just look at the monetary aspect of this. If I'm a pitcher, do I want to risk going out there, rushing to get in shape, now the 50-game schedule, 48-game schedule? How are you going to use me? If I'm an ace, are you going to use me even more? Because with 50 games, we might have a chance to make the playoffs. We might have to, uh, a chance to win our division. You might be using somebody a little bit more than you normally would. What are the pitching rotations going to look like? If I'm a hitter, I'm okay with this. But a pitcher, I really have to question this just from that aspect. Now, we can talk about COVID-19 and safety precautions. I do believe that baseball will be able to do that. Being an outdoor sport, you're not in contact with each other. I do believe baseball will be able to provide some kind of safety precautions there. But if I'm a pitcher, I would really question, do I want to come back for this? This program is brought to you by the great folks at LegalZoom. You don't have to leave your home. They will make sure you can take care of your loved ones. That's why LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today. The right estate plan at LegalZoom. McLovin, you got a poll question for me today. Okay, so the NBA is coming back. They have afternoon games and night games, apparently, in the regular season. Which team will get the most primetime games? 
I'm only going to give you actually two choices unless you can think of anybody else. Is it going to be the Lakers or the Pelicans? Lakers. I think it'll be the Pelicans because at the beginning of the season, it was Pelicans, 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 Pelicans. Well, I think they're going to get a lot more airtime than they deserve, but you do have Zion, and this is a this is marketing. This is PR. This is get our product out there. We want you watching. We want you engaged, and let's enjoy Zion while you can. But the Lakers are going to get the most primetime games. I would think they know they have the Lakers in the playoffs. That's why maybe they push Zion. But, okay, who gets the least? <laughs> Let me give you these choices. Oh, boy. I know you don't like to be me, but <laughs> let's be honest here. Spurs, they're a strong contender there. The Magic, the Wizards. And I know you and Seton love the Kings, so I don't know if I could put them on the list. But well, I, I like the Kings, but it's it's always a train wreck because you know, I I thought they were going to make the playoffs this year. Do I get credit for them? Almost like they're sort of almost in the playoffs. They could make it. Yeah, Paulie, we're giving that to you. You are. Yeah, and it's time to yeah, we're giving that. To ding you. ding ding ding. Thank you. I needed that. But are there two less watchable teams in the Wizards and and the Spurs? I'm sorry, this is mean. Uh, you can throw the Magic in there as well. They got Aaron Gordon. Yeah, they do. He dunked off a mascot a couple years ago. I I like how whenever anybody says anything about Orlando, well, they got that guy who lost the slam dunk contest. Yeah, that guy, Aaron Gordon. Hey, uh, come on down. Let's watch Mo Bamba. Don't they have, and Jonathan Isaac, they just keep collecting like top five picks. I don't know what they're all doing down there. Mm. Should be for Evan Fournier. Yeah. Yeah. See there? Yeah. No, that's impressive. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. Yeah, Paulie. Uh, I, I just saw like the five different field houses. That's how I describe them, where the NBA's going to be playing down in Orlando. You ever watch Summer League basketball? Yeah. And there's a mishmash of people there, and it's kind of quiet, and it feels like a casual run. It doesn't feel that serious because the setting. Or you ever watch those like Chaminade tournament, tournaments in college basketball where there's not that many people? These are going to be empty gyms that are also small. But the players are going to be wearing their full uniforms. Like They're going to be look like they're in the middle of the NBA Finals. But they're playing at like junior college type facilities. Well, they've had this in Vegas, but they had crowds there. They had summer league games in Orlando, and there's there's no depth to the arena. There's no ambiance there. I don't know what they're going to do with the cameras to dress it up a little bit. The angles can help a little bit there. You know, can you get a different look to this? And I think that that would be important um, with the NBA. They're all, they're, I guess the players are going to be housed in one hotel because there was talk that, hey, you're going to get to pick your hotel depending on your seed here. Now you got all of these NBA players in one hotel. It's the NBA's real world here. That's a Brian Windhorst report that they're all staying in one hotel, yeah. It makes it easier to contain the safety precautions. And I guess that you can get, they're calling it in the bubble. You can get out of the bubble to go play golf. I don't know how much socializing you're going to be able to have. This is going to be a fascinating test. It really is. Like, how do, how do we make this happen? Remember, you know, we see these uh, movies where somebody is living in a bubble. And, 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 you know, hey, can you survive in a bubble? How long can you survive in a bubble? Didn't they have a show where it's like you were under glass for... Well, Biodome. Yeah. Stephen Baldwin and Pauly Shore. Oh, Classic. Yeah. Underrated. Yeah. One of the great movies. And there was a 70s movie about a bubble boy, right? That's different. Okay. That, yeah, was, but that, that was John Travolta. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was one guy. Boy in, in the a, bubble. Yeah, boy in a bubble. Boy in a plastic bubble. Yeah, yeah. boy in a bubble. Yeah. 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 Good movie, though. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. All right, so that's what's happening with the NBA. They at least have a plan, 
and they're going to be able to, I guess, roll this out at the end of July. Home court advantage, there is no home, home court advantage. And I wonder, and I want to ask Chris Mannix about this, there are, have to be a couple of teams that you're looking at as spoilers here. Because, remember, you had players, the Bucks did this with the Greek Freak. They were load managing the Greek Freak this season. He was playing 30 minutes a game. Kawhi Leonard load managing. All of that, that's gone. That's not an advantage because everybody has been on. Everybody is load managed thanks to the coronavirus. You don't have that advantage with Kawhi. He's fresh coming back for the playoffs. The Greek freak the same way. You know, James Harden might benefit because normally he's run down by the time we get to the postseason. Load management, not going to factor in this year. Yeah, McLovin. I don't know if that's a poll question, but I feel this the empty arena is so unfair to the number one seeds, both the Bucks and the Lakers. It's I know I'm not saying asterisk or anything, but it just feels like a real misjustice that they work so hard to get the one seed. I don't know what else you could give them though. I mean, the desperate times, desperate measures. We just have to get through this season. Hopefully you get true championship caliber basketball in the finals. The Eastern Western Conference Finals. Hopefully. But then there's part of you that's saying, you know, are the Celtics one of those sneaky outlier teams where you go, man, they're one of the younger teams in the NBA, but they can win it all. Does Philadelphia with Ben Simmons coming back, are they going to be ready to go? Will they be healthy enough? You know, is Toronto going to be a sneaky team? Like you just you, you want to know who can start in right away and be good because you have eight regular season games and then the playoffs start. And there were certain teams at the end of the year where you started to see some progress, certainly with the Pelicans. But I don't know if where they are to win that many games and then the matchups to try to be a spoiler there. But I do think that you have one or two teams that could be, wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah, McLevin. One team shot up dramatically in the Vegas odds yesterday. I saw the story. The Brooklyn Nets, they're afraid that they don't, they don't want to get caught flat-footed if KD does come back. So it shot up crazy high. Wouldn't that be amazing? I know I'm being fantasy here. But is Kyrie playing? They, they say they don't. They, Vegas says, the story said Vegas doesn't want to get caught if Kyrie and KD come back. They don't know anything that no one else does. I, I haven't heard much about Kyrie. I've heard a lot about KD in that he looks good, but we haven't seen him in game-like situations here. I guess if you're thinking he's healthy, Everybody signs off on it. He feels healthy. You got a chance to maybe steal the Eastern Conference. I guess you do. I mean, if Kyrie and Durant come back, you have a chance to steal the Eastern Conference. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, you, you've been saying for months that you wouldn't even consider having Durant back, but with this new policy and the, mm. and the season being even a month later than we expected a while ago, the Nets are a seven seed, but now that seeding is gone as far as home court advantage, which they would not have had at all in the playoffs. But you could steal something. You could, like you said, you could steal a title, maybe. But the concern I have is you have the, you know, the games are not spread out now. And if you're bringing back guys who have been injured, certainly with an Achilles with Kevin Durant, he doesn't get a rest period of two or three days in between games. You're going to have you know, a finite amount of time to get all of these games in there. And that would be my biggest concern if you're bringing back somebody from that kind of injury. Durant might be ready to go, but can he play back-to-back games? Can Kyrie play back-to-back games? And is it worth the risk 
with this kind of season under these circumstances. And that's why I would caution against it. Yeah, McLovin. You know how when the NFL comes back, a lot of guys have soft, what's called soft tissue injuries. Like, don't you afraid they're going to ramp up so fast and be at intense levels that they're going to be blown out knees and things? Can you, can you help somebody help themselves? Durant's going to want to play. And then you have to say, no, you only get to play 25 minutes. Now there's a game, you know, hanging in the balance. Do I put him in? Because all of these games mean so much now. That would the risk that I would have. The risk and the reward is not great enough. Let's say something happens to Durant. Now I've lost him for another year. Or something happens to Kyrie. Brooklyn should just pace itself. Okay, you have time. Don't rush. And this is not the year to try to do this. Uh, 60 to 1, I believe, is what... Um, no, they went from 150, I believe, the Nets... To 60 to 1 to win it all? Well, this quote from Caesar saying he didn't want to post 150. Uh, I'll find out what they were before this. Okay. Yeah, Caesar's director of trading, Jeff Davis, says, oh. I would rather be cautious and deal 60 to 1 than get hurt when we hear the news Duran and Irving are returning. I don't want to post 150 to 1 odds. And the problem is, you take a bet of a couple of thousand and it pays 300,000 and you're stuck if Durant is good. This according to uh, Caesars. Do you have the odds there? I haven't seen the updated well, odds. There's another part in the story. According to Doug Kazarian of ESPN, the Nets odds were as high as 750 to one when both Durant and Irving were ruled out for the season. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get the whole odds, but that doesn't seem right. Yeah, Paul. Kevin Durant, he injured his calf a year and a month ago, May 7th, 2019. If he does not play in this abbreviated NBA season and next season it gets pushed back to use Christmas as a starting date, he will have not played competitive basketball in one year, seven months, and three weeks. Closer to two years than one year. One year, seven months, and three weeks. And he knows this. Like he, He's aware of this as he's sitting doing his rehab. Yeah, but I, I'm okay. Given that Achilles injury, and they, they talk about 9 to 12 months, but it, it's probably more like 12 months. And to be able to come back from that, and, and what's he going to be like when he comes back? I, I would love to ease him in more than just, hey, let's play eight games, now let's get ready for the postseason. And if Kyrie comes back, I haven't seen a time frame for Kyrie. I haven't, I haven't seen any update on Kyrie. Yeah, McLovin. By the way, they, they have the whole list of odds here from Caesars. Lakers won, Bucks right behind them, and then Clippers right behind them. So uh, Lakers at plus 200, which is 2-1, to one, I guess. Uh, who, who would surprise me in there? Is there hmm. anybody who's higher than you would expect or lower than you'd expect with those odds? Wait, uh, do, what are the Pelicans' odds? Pelicans, and this are plus 5,000. Okay. Yeah, Paul. Here's a sneaky team. I, I like to look at point differential. The Dallas Mavericks are the seven seed in the West, traditionally seven seed. They're 40 and 27, nothing special, but they beat their opponents by an average of 6.1 points per game. That's top three in the West. That's almost, that's almost the same as the Clippers, their point differential and their wins. They're the highest scoring team in the league. And you got an experienced coach. You know, Porzingis started to round into shape, and then you got, uh, you know, Lucas sensation, but. You know, I don't know who Dallas would be matching up with. And that, that's always interesting to see. You know, that, that's where it get, you start to look at a team that could surprise somebody. It's going to be because of a matchup. 
you know, the team that they're facing might be a better regular season team, but in a seven-game series, you might match up better with that team. Your strategy, somebody, you know, if you're facing the Rockets, Rockets in a seven-game series with Russell Westbrook and James Harden going full tilt, and if they happen to capture some magic there, then maybe, you know, Houston could be one of those teams that, given this format, could surprise people. Yeah, McLevin. Yeah, you're right. The next tier are two teams you mentioned. The Celtics and the Rockets are at 15-1. Uh, to 1. They're the next tier after those big three teams. Yeah, the Celtics would be somebody that... Like, I would put money on the Rockets just because I think there's some fascination there, curiosity, and that's not an, an easy matchup. The Rockets either... You know, they either win or they beat themselves, it feels like. And if they happen to get it all together in a four game, you know, for four games to win, I think the Celtics are sneaky, too. You know, I could see the Celtics winning the East. Yeah, McLevin. We're putting together. We're collecting money no, right no, now. We're no, going to no. put a team bet together. <laughs> let's call our guy. Let's get let's get out on the playoffs. It's but we got to You got to go dark horse, right? You can't go like what kind of. Would you take? I don't want you to get into this, Dan. No, no, no. I, I can't. I would don't you take can. like a top ten team or like a I would ten take, to fifteen team? I would go Celtics, Rockets. Yeah. If I was going to do something interesting, and I would take Portland as a long shot. If you bet. If I bet. Do you want us to bet and just? No, no, no. Well, I'll put in fifty no, for you. No, I told you that story of a friend of mine, and we were having beer and wings, and it was a Monday night, and he said. Who do you like? Now, that always triggers something in me that I get nervous. Who do you like? I go back to Pete Rose in the 1986 playoffs between the Mets and the Astros, and he says to Bob Costas and me, at the top of the dugout steps, the Mets dugout, who do you like? And Bob and I looked at each other going, I'm not going to. Are you going to? And we didn't say who we liked because we knew Pete was going to go bet. So fast forward to a couple of years ago, friend sits down. He goes, who do you like tonight? And uh, I said, uh, oh, gosh, I don't know. Raiders. He goes, all right. He goes, order me a beer. He goes outside. He comes back. He goes, I go, where'd you go? And he goes, oh, just on the phone. I had to put a dime on the Raiders. I go, no, no, don't put. No. Now I have to sit and watch this game. And I, he didn't give me any money when he won, but I was going to get blamed probably if he lost. Wait, who won the game? The Raiders covered. Yes. And I went, oh, my God. Then he's going to bug you like again and again. Well, I get that. Yeah. I, I get that all the time, and I just say, no, entertainment purposes only. Hey, I saw your Super Bowl pick. Would you put money? No, I would not put. I do it because I have to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, Paul. What if we bet on the team that you like as your dark horse and not tell you? And if it wins, we tell you. And if it doesn't, we never mention it again. That's a good policy. Whatever you do, I don't want to know about it. Super. And that's not just gambling. Okay? <laughs> Whatever you do, I don't need to know anything about it. So you like the Kings at 200 to 1. No. <laughs> Call my guy. I do love the Kings. I, I don't know why. But that's a team that I do, I'll watch because I don't think anybody else watches. And I'll go, I got to, it's like, you know, I'm watching my son play and, and the team's not very good, but, <laughs> but I feel like I have to. That's what I'm watching here. I'm watching the Kings and I just, I don't know. I'm just rooting for him a little bit there. All right, Chris Mannix will join us. We'll uh, talk to him about, well, a few things. 
Give us that surprise team or teams that uh, could create maybe a little bit of a run here in the uh, NBA playoffs. 21 after the hour, just getting started on this Traeger Meet Friday. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. We'll settle on a poll question. Phone calls are always welcome. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. Kevin Durant had a long layoff Earlier in his career, he missed the last two months of the 2014-15 season with Oklahoma City. He went over eight months without playing a game. In his first seven games of the next season, he averaged 30 a game, shot better than 50%. Soon after that, he strained a hamstring and missed six games. Yeah, the rush to have him come back, I get it. That you feel like the Eastern Conference is maybe there for the taking. And I don't know about Kyrie. Did you get an update on Kyrie's health at all? Did anybody see anything on this? I mean, he is a man of mystery. But uh, yeah, we were talking about if Durant comes back, Vegas is already lowering their odds just in case Durant and Kyrie coming back. Chris Mannix covers the NBA, senior NBA writer from Sports Illustrated. His uh, most recent column in SI, finally the NBA has a format now the real work begins. Chris, good morning. How are you? What's going on, Dan? Well, I'm trying to figure this uh, net situation out. I've always felt everything I've read is that Durant would not be coming back. Uh, we'll start there. Do you think Durant is going to be coming back? I don't. And I think it would, it would take an incredible reversal of direction for Durant to come back. Um, you know, I've talked to people about this within the Nets organization. I've talked to you know, Rich Kleiman, Durant's manager, and every conversation I've had has not left left me feeling like the door was even open for something like this to, to happen. I mean, if it was a shoulder injury or a Steph Curry-like broken hand, you can have a different conversation. But you're talking about the most significant injury an NBA player could have and then taking that player and dropping him after seven, eight regular season games and a three-week training camp into the most intense atmosphere an NBA player can go through. And, you know, all I think about when you're thinking of that scenario is, didn't we just do that with Kevin Durant? Like, didn't he just deal with a major injury to his calf, come back, and then in one game pop his Achilles? I mean, the Nets have a four-year investment in Kevin Durant. Even if he came back, I wouldn't make the Nets a, a favorite. You don't come back from an Achilles injury and look like the same player you once were. So what is the point in rolling him back out there in a truncated season, postseason, you know, just to roll the dice and hope you catch lightning in a bottle? No, I, it's going to be an incredibly long layoff for Kevin Durant once the next season starts. But the, the risk to me, Dan, and I think for the Nets and Kevin Durant – is not worth the reward. Given the fact that we have, uh, you know, a, a smaller postseason, eight games regular season going in, give me one or two teams that you think, and with no home court advantage, that this team might play the role of spoiler either in the East or the West. Well, to me, it's Philadelphia in the East. And, you know, the, the Sixers had plenty of problems this year, even before, you know, Ben Simmons went down with that injury. 
but Ben Simmons is coming back. And, you know, that, you know, we always thought when it came to the Sixers that a defensive minded team that doesn't rely on the three point shot uh, might have a shot in the postseason, not up tempo, necessarily high volume three point shooting team. Like these playoffs almost are, are built for a team like Philadelphia. Like when you have teams coming back, um, you're just not going to be able to get your skills sharp enough to be the kind of perimeter shooting team that you were prior to this. A lot of these players have not been even doing much in the way of, of one-on-one work. Some of them haven't even been shooting for the better part of the last couple of months. So you're going to see a lot of college basketball-like shooting numbers, I think, in the, in the regular season and in the postseason. If you're Philadelphia, you don't shoot three. <laughs> you don't care. You you are a defensive team. You want to, you want to play 90s-style basketball where games are in the 80s and 90s. So I look at the Sixers, it, you know, their chemistry is always an issue, but from a talent perspective, this might be perfect for them. Like, they could wind up being a team that not only wins the first-round series, but you know, they could make a run all the way to the finals. Like, I, I think that this is just one of those weird scenarios that sets up really well for Philadelphia. Wait, are you doing this because you know Mc, McLovin is so excited? What, McLovin? I told you, and I take it back, I said, don't, don't book Maddox today, you know, and now I think it totally paid off. <laughs> Thank you, Perloff. I appreciate that. Um, is it fair I, I to guess, is it fair to the Lakers and Bucks that there is no home court advantage for these two teams, considering what they did during the regular season? It, there was no way to give them something for for what they did during the regular season. No, it, it's not fair. But life's not fair. I mean, it's it's the way it goes in in the current climate. And you know, there were all these suggestions. You read about some of them. There were even more from the people I've talked to about finding ways to uh, you know, give teams that had home court advantage, whether it's an extra possession or you know, little things like that. But what you heard Adam Silver say last night uh, lines up with some of the stuff I've been writing for the last couple of weeks. The, the NBA badly wants to protect the integrity of the playoffs. And, and Michael Jordan said this to Adam Silver, and Adam Silver has believed this all along. You don't want to screw around with gimmicky stuff once you get to the playoffs because that threatens the credibility of the champion. So if you want to find, I don't even know if this is possible, but if you want to find a way of shipping the Laker floor to Orlando and playing games on it, great, like do that. But that is as far as it goes when it comes to giving them an advantage. I don't know if it's the floor as much as it is the fans that you need to ship to give these teams their home court advantage. How about you just send Jack Nicholson and a fan to be named later? I mean, I'm all for sending, like, the super fan of every team down there. Like, Clipper Darrell, you know, in the, the stands can – I mean, that's how his voice would echo in an empty arena. Like, send send somebody you know, for, for each team. But this is just – I mean, you know this, man. This is just the way that it goes. Like, you know, this is the best of a bad situation. There's no way to fix it or make it any more palatable. So teams are going to have to deal with the, the consequences. Talking to Chris Maddox from Sports Illustrated, senior NBA writer. How is the NBA going to issue press credentials? How do people get in to cover? And do we have broadcast teams who are going to be able to cover this? You know, it's, I know for a fact it's still being negotiated right now as far as what kind of, of press access there's going to be. I mean, I would imagine that if you want to cover the playoffs in its entirety, you've got to put yourself in that bubble and you have got to agree to 
effectively quarantine yourself for, for three months. And that's, you know, difficult for a lot of people to do. I mean, maybe not so much for me. I have no life whatsoever. But, you, you know, for a lot of people, you know, you, you have families, you have reasons to be in and out of there. So I think that is, that is going to be a challenge. There's a lot of interest in from a, 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 a print media perspective in being part of covering it, but the NBA is understandably leery about letting people come in and out. The, the question of broadcasting, I don't know if that's been fully resolved yet, but people I've talked to have been under the impression that uh, many of these broadcasts will take place remotely, whether it's from Bristol or you know, Atlanta or Turner. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that certainly is a fluid situation right now, but you know, over the last couple of weeks, that was what I was hearing when it came to how games we broadcast uh, during all this. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, via remote for uh, the national broadcast and even local broadcast. The NBA season, if there's a Game 7, would end on that Monday night in mid-October. And then there's a quick turnaround and the commissioner talking about starting the 2021 season on December 1st. Seems aggressive. Um why start December 1st with games? Why not wait till Christmas? Well, it, starting December 1st is all about finishing, like, end of June. You know, it's all about trying to recalibrate the schedule um, in one season. Like, they don't, they, as of now, they don't want to play into next summer. So if you start December 1st, you might have to sandwich some games closer, you know, do some things you don't necessarily want to do with spacing, uh, but you can get back on a regular calendar. I think it's, I think it's a mistake. And, and I think it's one that, as you saw, Michelle Roberts has already commented on this. Like you're going to have a union problem uh, with negotiating uh, that type of quick turnaround. But I think the NBA has got an opportunity here, Dan, to start the season on Christmas when, most people start caring about basketball anyway. So yeah. use that as your launching point and then play into the summer on a regular schedule. Try to get some valuable data to see if summer basketball actually works. If the ratings go up, if getting away from the NFL um, actually makes some sense. If it doesn't and your ratings plummet for one year, okay, end of August, which is when a December start would probably put you, you can find a way to get back on track in the 2021-2022 season. But right now, I-, I think this is a golden opportunity for the league to do what a lot of people internally already want to do and something they can chalk up to the pandemic. And that doesn't even include the fact that it's good business to push even further down the line to get fans potentially back in the stands for next season. Who's your uh, prediction? Well, I started this whole year saying the Lakers wouldn't make the playoffs or at least would be more likely than not to not make the playoffs. So I'm going to take the Lakers to win the whole thing. Let's just do a complete <laughs> complete 180. But I'll tell you, Dan, I am going to go on the limb, and I'm going to say Lakers-Sixers in the finals. Okay. You're not picking your Celtics, huh? They're just, like, I look at the Celtics, and I look at the Bucks. And I look at how reliant they are on the three-point shot. Like, that, that to me is a big variable in all this. Like, how are these guys, what kind of skills are these guys going to have when this game comes back? Like, the Bucks, Giannis doesn't shoot threes, but everybody else does. Like, that's a five-out team. Like, they want everybody else but Giannis behind the three-point line launching. And if you're missing a lot, and that leads to, like, what do the Sixers do well? They force misses, and they play up and down in transition. They don't shoot threes. 
They don't even shoot long twos well, but they get up and down in transition and create opportunities. And that's why I think Philadelphia, if they're if Simmons is well and they're act together, uh, I think they could have a bigger run. Did you care about this CBS poll about the greatest shooters of all time? I mean, not really. You, it's obviously subjective. So I mean, I, I, I don't even know who's on the list at this point. Well, it was. Uh... Let's see. Clay Thompson. Steph was number one. Clay Thompson, I think, yeah. was two. Uh, Bird was in there. Reggie Miller in there. Uh, Ray Allen was in there. Yeah, probably Kevin Durant was in there. Um, it's like it's like yeah, it's like types of shooters though, right? Like you know, Steph Curry, like greatest off the dribble three point shooter I've ever seen. Ray Allen, maybe the best standalone three point shooter I've ever seen. Uh, what Reggie could do, like in clutch moments, and, and you know the best of both worlds in that way. It's just you almost have to you know break it down into silos and say, here's the best this type of three point shooter. Yeah, I know it's meant to have us get riled up and argue, and nobody's arguing with Steph Curry. Clay Thompson might be a little recency biased. He's a wonderful shooter. Uh, mm. How did everybody miss on Clay Thompson when he was at Washington State? Uh, it's a good question. I don't think they saw him as being like he was a very good defender, a very good three point shooter. But I think if I think back to what was going on back then, I think they saw him more as one dimensional. I don't think they saw him being and becoming the complete player that he was. I mean, he was still a lottery pick, like he was still a a, a well regarded player. But I don't think they saw the diversity of the skills that Clay Thompson has shown in his time as a pro. Yeah, I remember Mark Jackson, the former Golden State head coach, was. I, we had a private conversation. And this is when they were thinking about Kevin Love for Clay Thompson straight up. Yeah. And I said, man, that gives you a whole different look. You know, he can shoot threes, he can rebound. He goes, Clay Thompson is the best two way guard in the NBA. And I went, really? He goes, in my opinion, he goes, we would never even consider that trade. Yeah, and they, they, they really didn't either on Golden State side. That I mean, it's been documented well over the years, but they didn't really give that more than enough thought. I mean, again, you, you see guys be great defensive players in college. I don't think anyone saw Clay becoming the stopper that he became in the pros. But we can, like, there's so many, like, almost. How about Kevin Love for O.J. Mayo happening? Like, that, <laughs> no. that, to me, stands one of the most lopsided deals in draft history. Yep. I was right there. Paulie and I were arguing, and I said, ah, Kevin Love ceiling 15-8. You know, O.J. Mayo might be a guy who can get you 20-25. You know, play some defense. Yeah. And that didn't go I, well. I hate to say it. I hate to say it, Dan, but I was kind of having the same argument you were at the time, like more towards Mayo. You have to remember, too, that Kevin Love back then was like doughy. Like he just didn't look like he had – he didn't have an NBA body. And, and there were people at the time that, you know, I had one team like express to me they thought Kevin Love might have an eating disorder, like that he'd never uh, you know, be able to develop the kind of body that he has developed that made him a great NBA player. So crazy Kevin Love for – turning his entire physique around in the NBA. And, and O.J. Mayo averaged 19 his rookie year. He was first-team all-rookie. But yeah. Kevin Love improved himself. He got got better. You know, the fact that he put in a 30-30 night. Like, <laughs> man. You just, you, just, you just never know, Dan, like what you can tell. Like, it's so hard to tell work ethics on 18-year-olds, right? Like, you, you can see them doing stuff. You know, in high school and in college, you can talk to their coaches, but 
until you get them in the gym for like year one, you, you don't know what their dedication is going to be. And that's, that's one of the most difficult parts of scouting players. You can see the talent and try to project out the talent, but did, did you know that Kevin Love was going to become this workaholic that would you know, turn him, his body into one of the better NBA physiques and turn himself into one of the better uh, uh, front-court three-point shooters? I mean, he, he just he put the time in, and you can't really project that when a guy's that young. Thank you, Chris. Enjoy the weekend. We appreciate your time as always. You got it, Dan. That's Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated, NBA senior writer. No other show in America is talking about O.J. Mayo today but this one. We'll take a break. Play of the day is up next here on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. McLovin, what's the poll question we're going with? Uh, let me just first state that I was excited about Mannix picking the Sixers. Then I had the guys in the back pull Mannix prediction record on the show. Ooh. I'm putting a huge bet on the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. What is the second-tier team that you think has the best chance, based on what you were saying earlier? Second-tier being out of the top five teams. The Celtics, the Rockets, the Thunder, Dallas Mavericks, or Sixers. Those are teams like not in the top five of the standings. I don't know if Dallas is good enough to make a consistent run, but I, I do think that they... They, they, they would be a tough out just because of Luca and Porzingis. The Rockets could either be really good or really bad. Oklahoma City is quietly, they quietly played some pretty good basketball. That's one of the younger teams in the league, and they have Chris Paul. So you throw in his age, that's a young team. Celtics I like too. I know Mannix says, oh, you can't rely on the three. Well, all right, so the Sixers can't shoot the three. What if they need to shoot the three because, let's say, they're down by double digits? Are they a good enough shooting team to be able to come back? That would be my big concern. They get a lead, they play defense, okay, maybe. But those are fun teams on the outside there. Those are all interesting teams. But Philadelphia has the talent to make a longer run, and it's the Eastern Conference. Celtics would be able to do that as well. Houston and Dallas could be in a similar boat, maybe a tough out, but can they be consistent enough to make a run where you're going to win 16 games? Yeah, McLovin. Maybe it'll be like the NCAA tournament where a team like Virginia who only plays defense, like a defense team can win, like the Sixers are great defensive. Maybe that's the key that we're not talking about. I don't know what that means. But is there anyone's defense that you love? Uh, I do you have the defensive analytics right I don't, in your I don't, head? I, I don't have my analytics yet, but I'll get them. Yes, boy. Scoring-wise, the best defenses in the East are the Raptors and the Celtics. And in the West, it's the uh, the Lakers and the Nuggets. Okay. I like the uh, the Pacers. Healthy, Brogdon back. He was, had some injury issues. Yeah. Sneaky team. Yeah. Don't get a, They get no coverage. No, they don't. No, they don't. I mentioned why did Clay Thompson, you know, kind of fly under the radar, and then I looked at some numbers here. Washington State played a very slow pace. His last year, he averaged uh, they averaged seventy two points a game. That was sixty fifth in the nation. He averaged twenty one a game for a team that scored only seventy two points. But even if it's a slow pace, even if you have a guy getting twenty one points a game, 
if I'm looking at a great shooter, one of the great shooters of all time, Ray Allen, when you saw him in college, you knew he was great. When you saw him in the pros, you knew he was great. Uh, Larry Bird, you knew he was great. Steve Nash, you didn't know because you didn't know if he was able to physically play in the NBA. Steve Kerr was a good shooter at Arizona. I'm just looking at the guys who were on this list. Um, So Nash, uh, who else is on that list of great shooters of all time? Dirk is different. Dirk, we didn't know because he was coming over from Europe. And it didn't take long before we realized that he was, at that size, as good a shooter as we've ever seen. How about J.J. Redick? Did you know that that would trans... We knew he could shoot, that he'd be an effective NBA player. I knew that he was a great shooter in college. But I got to see all of those games. J.J. Redick had as pure of a shot as I've ever seen in college basketball. Because when he made shots, there were times when the net didn't move. Rick Mount, who played at Purdue, is one of the great pure shooters I ever saw. But Rick Mount wasn't a good uh, ABA player. J.J. Redick has made himself into... He's not a Hall of Famer, but this is a guy who's made the playoffs every single year, I believe, of his NBA career. Pretty storied career. John Smoltz will tell us, are we going to have baseball this year? 